Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> Please pray for me. I have a very sore throat. It says, three starts. That word then is kind of like a conjunction word. You can't really understand chapter 3 unless you read chapter 2. Um, and I'm going to explain from a historical point throughout the course of the sermon what happened prior to chapter 3. It says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the Lord, or the angel of the Lord. When you read the Old Testament and you see that phrase, angel of the Lord, it's what we call in Bible study theophany, which literally means the manifestation of Jesus Christ sneaking through the pages of the Old Testament. And even though Jesus Christ does not appear until the New Testament when he's born, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, but throughout pages of, in the Old Testament, you hear that phrase, and the angel of the Lord. Jacob fought with the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is theophany referring to Jesus Christ sneaking in the pages of the Old Testament, showing a shadow to then show the fulfillment in Scripture. He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan was standing at his right hand. Now notice... I want you to see it. Zechariah sees Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, meaning I'm, I'm, I'm Joshua. In front of me is the angel of the Lord, and to my right hand is Satan. Now, we've said before as Christians that wherever God is, the devil can't be. Well, that's not what this text says. Joshua was in front of the Lord, and being in front of the Lord, Satan was at his right hand. And look what it says. He was at his right hand to oppose him, accuse him. Verse 2, and the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. In other words, He's speaking in third person, but he's speaking of himself. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a branding iron plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said to Joshua, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. My focus is part B of verse 2. He asks, Is this not a brand or a branding iron plucked? from the fire. I want you to touch two people and tell them you have been chosen to leave a mark. Tell two people and tell them you have been chosen to leave a mark. 
chosen. This is not coincidence. Chosen to leave a mark. The book of Zacharias archives or records the prophetic utterances of this prophet by the name of Zacharias, who was considered in Scripture to be a minor prophet. And when you study Bible, you go to Bible school or institutionary, whatever you go to, minor prophets and major prophets. And literally what that simply means, what makes a minor prophet a minor prophet is the elasticity of the content of his prophecy. A prophet is not major because he's greater. But what makes him a major prophet is because he had a lot of writing to do. And I'm glad that the scripture tells us and gives us that distinction between minor prophets and, my, and major prophets. Because this is, a, this is a copy or a shadow or a picture of the church. There are people that are in the church that unless they have a major title, they feel insignificant. There are people in the church that they don't want to serve until they get a major prophet position. But what makes the prophet a prophet is not how long he writes, is the obedience to hear what God is telling him to say. That's it. Jonah had a minor prophet message. Matter of fact, Jonah's message was composed of will be destroyed. Nine, nine words. From here to 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. That was all God told Noah, Jonah, Noah to do, Jonah to do. One message, but that one message of nine words changed the city upside down. So what makes you great in the kingdom is not the elasticity of the content, but the obedience to the thing God tells you to do. Can I get an amen? It's a minor prophet. And then what's crazy is when he prophesies, he's prophesying to Israel at a crucial time in Israel's life as a nation. You know, because one, one, one thing is to be called by God when everything's okay. And God says, hey, I want you to go prophesy to that person. God's going to bless you. It's going to be good. <laughs> but how crazy it is when things are rough. And in the middle of your roughness or your crisis, God says, speak now. So God calls Zacharias to prophesy at a moment in, in Israel where it was crucial for them as a people. In now, they had just gone through, when God called Zacharias to prophesy, they had just gone through what is called the Babylonian captivity. Now, now, if we rewind a couple of hundred years back to Exodus, you're going to see how God, with a mighty hand, took the people of Israel, which at the time they were Hebrews or Jews, and they had been praying to God for deliverance, and God heard the cries of the Jews, and he lifted up a man by the name of Moses, and Moses took God's people out of 
bondage into the wilderness. And the Bible says that after 40 years in the wilderness, God took them to the promised land. But now when we read Zacharias, the people who were delivered by God are back in bondage. I'm talking about the sea opened up, they ate manna. I'm talking about God brought the meat. I'm talking about water came out of a rock. I'm talking about a pillar of fire. I'm talking about a pillar. After all of that, they're back in bondage. So the question is, how can God deliver you and you go back to the place God delivered you from? Or is it that God's power is not able enough to keep you delivered once he sets you free? So God called Zacharias to prophesy to Israel because they're in Babylonian captivity. Let me tell you this. If the Jews, which are now the Israelites, if the Israelites have it bad, had it bad in Exodus, they got it worse in the Babylonian captivity. If they had Jews being under Pharaoh and Egypt slavery or the Babylonian captivity, they would have preferred to be under Pharaoh and Egypt than Babylon. Now let me give you a little hi highlights of the Babylonian captivity. Now, how did they become captive again? Here's how. Can, 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 how many guys give me five minutes? Raise your hands. Five, 10, 15, 20, 25. Okay, I, I got an hour and a half. I'm good. Okay. All right. Listen to me. How did they become captive? Because after God delivered them in Exodus, God delivered them in Exodus, God told the people of Israel, I'm going to deliver you with a mighty hand. And everybody was dancing. As a matter of fact, when they, when they, when they, when they crossed over the Red Sea, the Bible says that, that the women were playing with tambourines. They were, but God said, wait, before you start having church, if you want to stay free, I got some conditions. I got conditions so that you can enjoy the freedom I have provided for you. And here's what he told them. God said, I got conditions. And he told them, listen, don't disobey me. Because if you disobey me, you're going to have to go through the consequences of your disobedience. God tells them, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to intermarry with pagan people. I'm going to deliver you. But my condition is you cannot marry people that are not from the people of Israel. And guess what they started to do? Look at the book of Judges. Samson. <laughs> they started doing what God told them not to do. God said, I don't want you to marry people outside of your people. And then he tells them, and I don't want you to intermingle. Don't even hang out with people who worship other gods except me. And I, and I, oh God, I can stay there for hours. He says, as long as 
As long as you don't do that, you're going to enjoy the freedom I gave you. Well, by the way, for 400 years you've been praying, set us free, Lord. I set you free, and I'm going to give you the land of the Amalekites, of the Hittites, of the Hebusites, and all of those folk. But here's my condition. Don't marry them. Don't mingle with them. But they began to do what the Bible says. They began to do what they thought was right in their own sight. And I don't know about you, but I don't trust my sight too much. I don't trust me too much. Paul put it this way, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, that I do. And then he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Listen, listen, I don't trust me most of the times of my life. Which is why I need to do what God says is right. Because sometimes what God says to do is not what I want to do. Can I get an amen? God tells you, don't hook up with that kid. Don't hook up with that. No, but I like it, Jesus. I like him, Jesus. And God's saying, don't do it, Papa. Don't do it. I, I, I just saved you two years ago. And I, and I healed your spirit. And I healed your emotions. And now you're going to go back. Don't do it. But we tend to do what seems right in our sight. But God, he's so cute. Look how he carries the Bible. Look at the anointing whereby he moves when he comes to church. But God, who searches the heart, knows what the mind of the He says, don't do it. Listen, you can't trust you. Listen, your biggest enemy ain't the devil. Your biggest enemy ain't sin. You are your biggest enemy. That's why Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live to the glory. And due to this, they have to go through the corrective hand of God or the disciplinary hand of God. Let me tell you, I'm glad that God loves me enough to correct me. If you're a parent and you let your child come whenever he want, do whatever he want, act however he want, I have to question your love towards that child. Because the Bible loves his child, corrects his child. Come on, young people, be, look, be happy. Don't get mad. I'm glad God loves me enough to correct me. But nowadays, we can't correct our children. See, young people ain't saying amen on this one, but it's all right. Nowadays, you can't correct your children. You know, right nowadays, you can't spank your children. Remember spanking? Some of y'all don't even know what spanking means. Spanking? I'm talking about, I'm not talking about spanking. I'm talking about spanking. Where your mother will beat you with a syllable. This is why I'm hitting you. Spanking. Really? Well, nowadays you can't spank your kids. 
Yo, God Almighty, you can't even scream at your kids. You gonna hit me? I call BCW. Back in, back in them days, BCW will get called by the mother. Listen, I'm about to beat my child till he's blue. It's crazy. Because people have... Listen, if we're honest with ourselves, those of us that are <clears throat> dirty and up, we were raised in a home where we got more than a spanking. Some of us got hit with belts. Some of us, some of our parents were exotic in correction. And so we didn't just just get hit with belts, we got hit with shoes. Listen, my mama never played baseball a day in her life. But she's right there, my mama. But she would take them chancletas, you know, because sandals and chancletas are two different things. You know, the sandals, nice. That's not, that's not, that's not a chancleta. <laughs> my mama would take that chancleta. And it didn't matter I was in the house. My mother knew how to pitch the hell out of a chancleta. We got, we got hit with belts. We got hit with chancletas. We got hit with shoes. Some got hit with wires. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Lord, help them. Heal them, Lord. Heal them. Heal them. And when we were kids, we didn't like that. One thing my mother used to always tell me, and I couldn't understand this. She just said, honey, I'm going to beat you. And this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And I'm laying there where my underwear was talking about, no, it ain't. You liar. <laughs> but I'm glad she corrected me well. Because I'd rather my mama, who loves me, whip me with a belt than a correction officer in prison beat me with a stick. So now, so now kids, don't get, kids don't get corrected nowadays. Nowadays, here's how we discipline our kids. You got time out. <laughs> Boo-boo, get in the corner, and I want you to think about what you did. I want you to go over in the corner, and I want you to reflect on why you disobey mommy. And, and, and I'm going to come back in five minutes with peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Ain't no time to get no time. Listen, listen, time out. We used to get, I used to get time out. You know what the time I used to get? Time for my, brother, my mother to breathe and gain strength to beat me again. She used to get time out. I'll be right back. Let me go get a bigger belt. <laughs> Time out, time to get your butt whooped. That's what it was. Time out. Now, now, let's go, let's go back to the story. God says, don't do this. They do it. God says, don't interconnect, don't intermarry, don't intermingle. They disobeyed God. And God who loves them as a good father that loves his child, he has to correct them. So how does God correct them? He said, if you disobey me, you're going to go through some stuff. If you disobey me, you're going to experience pain. And here's how their correction began. The Babylonian captivity. Now, 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 listen. This is why 
disobedience is so detrimental in the life of believers. Because obedience will always lead you to confusion. Because they disobeyed, who took authority over them? Somebody say Babylon. What does Babylon mean? Well, Babylon comes from the root word Babel, or Babel, which we find in Genesis chapter 11. Remember the Tower of Babel? You know what the word Babel means? Confusion. Confusion. And so they got the name Babel as they were building the tower because they were trying to go up and reach the heaven. And I'm going to give them distortion of languages so that I can confuse them. The moment you disobey God, you enter in a spirit. God, I know you said this, but I'm going to do that. You don't believe me? Ask Adam and Eve in the garden. God said, don't touch the tree. The moment they entered and they ate of the tree, they became confused. And confusion evicted them from the place of God. Babylon became a place of confusion. And what did the devil do in Babylon? He began to confuse them. He began to confuse the Israelites of their identity. Now, before they were considered the freedom of Christ, victorious in Jesus, wherever they will go, they will conquer. Now their identity is broken and they're back in bondage. Confusion of faith. But what happened to Jesus? What happened? I'm sorry, what happened to God? Why don't he deliver us? Confusion of faith. Confusion when it comes to their status from being free to now being slaves. Confusion in their heritage. I want to let you know that Satan wants to confuse you of your identity. He wants to confuse your faith. He wants to confuse your position in Christ, making you feel like a second-class citizen. But remember that you were made in the image of Christ and don't disobey the Lord. Trust Christ. Now, what did the Babylonians do to Israel? You think they had about in Egypt? <laughs> Let me tell you what they did to them. The Babylonians were ruthless people. First of all, they did three deportations from Jerusalem. They took all of the Jewish people out of Israel. And did three deport deportations, taking them to Babylon. And when they brought them to Babylon, right before they left Babylon, they went into Jerusalem and they burned their temples. They burned their businesses. In other words, you ain't got nowhere to go back. That they were going to be slaves for the rest of their lives. Look at what happens when you disobey God. The enemy has an agenda to make you feel that because of your disobedience, you will never come back to your place in God. You'll never go back to your purpose in God. These are the consequences of disobedience. That's why while it's standing in front of the Lord, guess what the devil is at, at his right hand side, telling him, God ain't going to use you again. You missed it. Too late. You ain't going to be. But I'm here to tell you today, don't give room to the enemy. Consequence of sin, destroy the temples. Consequence of sin, destroy their businesses. They took them all in three ships, brought them to Babylon. Look what they did. The moment they got to Babylon, they took all of their men and they castrated their parts. Consequence of disobedience. So there was not one male in Babylon that was able, because when you disobey God, what the devil wants to do is he wants to short circuit, he wants to paralyze, he wants to stop your reproduction, he wants to stop God's purpose and becoming in your life. They cut and decapitate, if that's the word, I don't want to use that word, but they, can you imagine that? 
they all became eunuchs because of disobedience. The devil is after you. And he's after your generation. And he's after your children. And he's after your children's children. And he's after your inheritance. So what he does, he says, I'm going to castrate you spiritually. I'm going to castrate you emotionally. I'm going to castrate you and your family so that you can be as depressed as you can be. Get married, live in a depressive marriage, and have kids. But I'm here to tell you today, don't give room to the enemy. They castrated the men. And here's the next thing they did. They took all of the little virgin girls, Babylonians, took them to their temples, and they raped all of the girls to their gods. If they would have known that disobeying God would have led to that, they would have never done it. That's why it's important to obey God, even if you don't understand him. They took all of their virgin daughters and they cast, they, they raped them. They, they violated. Now, 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 to not be a virgin in the Bible and the Hebrew was a big thing. To not be a virgin. That's why when Jesus got, you know, when, when Mary was pregnant with Jesus and, 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 and he had a, John, um, Joseph had to say, no, 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 we go, we got everything. Because, because, because for, for people to find out that Mary was pregnant and had sex before marriage was stoned to death. And these guys, these Babylonians, raped every virgin. Not only that. If Israel was known for something, they were known for worship. They were known for worship. They took all of their instruments. The ones you read in Psalms 150, praise it with a timbrel, praise it with a... They took all of their harps, all of their lyres, L-Y-R-S, not lyres, L-I-A-R-S. They took all of their instruments... And they hung them. Sing now. Yeah, I used to sing and talk about, we used to sing and guys used to move and sing the walls of God, Jericho, Jericho come down. Sing now. And that is in that context. When you read Psalms, Psalms 126 was written during the Babylonian captivity. And look what Psalms 126 says. It says, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, and then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. These guys were yearning to laugh again. They were yearning to sing again. They were yearning to be happy, but they're bound. Their children are raped. Their girls are raped. Their men are castrated. And they're saying, Lord, take us back to Zion. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And look what he says. And we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord. As the streams in the south, those who sow in tears will reap in joy. And who continually goes forth reaping, bearing seed of sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoice, bringing sheaves with them. Do you see the picture? Temples destroyed. Business burnt down, men castrated, virgins raped, they stole their worship. And when they stole their worship, that's when they cried out. I'm here to tell you, church, don't let the devil take worship out of your lips. You might have lost, you might have gained infirmity, you might have lost friends, but don't let the devil take your worship. 
don't let the devil, the people of Israel for 400 years in bondage. And you know what they were doing for 400 years? Lord, have mercy upon us. They started singing songs of Zion. And all of a sudden, God brought them Moses. I'm here to tell you, you might be going in your 21st century captivity, but don't stop praising God. Because while you're praising God, God is raising a Zacharias in your generation that's going to change your circumstance around to the glory of God. Listen to me. I want you to know that while they were crying out for mercy, God was in the heavenlies. That while they were still in bondage in the spirit world, God was bringing a way of escape. And that's why when you're in, listen, when you're in the middle of your pain and in the middle of your heartache, that is not the time to pack up and go. When you're in the middle of your heartache, that's not the time to quit upon God. When you're in the middle of your hell, that's not the time to back. No, 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 no. You're in the middle of your hell. And while you're in hell, God in another working. And if you persevere, victory will come. Know that your situation has been fixed in the heavenlies. And just because you can't see God moving, it doesn't mean that he's not moving. They were in that predicament because God said, God said, I've been like, They were in that predicament. They were in that predicament because God said, don't do it. If not, you're going to go through consequences. So the consequences they're going through is because God said, you're going to suffer. But I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad that the God I serve don't just want to see you crush. Because he spoke a word that got them in that predicament. But now God is getting ready to speak another word to cancel the curse and turn it into blessing. To cancel the pain and turn it into joy. I'm here to tell you, you're right in the middle between curse and joy. That's why the Bible says, pain may come in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And if you hold on to the faith, the same God who got you in the mess is going to take you out to the glory of God. Listen to me. They were in that predicament. Because God gave a word. And God now is going to give them another word to cancel bondage and give them deliverance. Oh, I feel like preaching. No, no, no. Listen to me. The word God gave you in the moment of your crisis was the word you needed to make you reflect on not disobeying God again. And if you don't have the problem, and if you don't get it, he'll keep you in the mess. And if you don't get it, you're still going to suffer. But once, but God is not there. Like I said, he's like a parent that loves you. He's going to punish you and castigate you until you get it. And once you get it, here comes the blessing. And once they began to cry out to the Lord, now God says, I have to speak again because I got to give a word that's going to stop the first word I gave. And I'm going to open my mouth and speak again to turn your mourning into the Lord. And so God gives a shift. Now they're not going through a problem no more. Now they're going to go through a process of restoration. Listen to me. I'm here to tell you, church. That's why coming to church is important. Because it's when you come to church that God gives you a word. 
The Bible says, no soul, man shall not live by bread alone, I'm thinking Spanish, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's why when I come to church, listen to me, when I come to church, I come to get a word. I don't know what you come to church for. When I come to church, I come to get a word. And I'm here to tell you, God has a word for you today. Touch your neighbor, tell him, God has a word for you today. God has given you to church. That's why when you come to church, don't let nobody distract you when God is speaking in the middle of a service. And God don't just speak when I'm preaching, is preaching, is being preached. God could speak while you're singing a song. God could speak while you're giving offering. God could speak while you're hugging your neighbor. And that's why when I come to church, I don't let nobody distract me in my service. So when I come to church, please don't pass me any notes in the middle of a service. I ain't got time to read your notes. And you saw what she put on. Now I ain't got time for that. When I come to church, don't give me your baby. I don't want to play with your baby. I don't want to look at your baby's sneakers. I came to get a word from the Lord. That's why when I come to church, listen, when I come to church, I don't care what Kardashians are doing. I don't care if he's Jake, if he's Jenner, if he's whoever. When I come to church, I come to get a word. I'm trying to get a word from the Lord today. That's why when I come to church, and my heart is open, and my spirit is open, because today might be the day that God gives me a word that turns my pain into glory. And God says... I got to speak now to Israel. And he says, I need somebody to speak. So he calls Zacharias. And when he calls Zacharias, it says, then I saw. And Zacharias begins to have a vision of Israel. And God raises Zacharias. Why? Because he is the prophet who's going to bring a new word and a new vision to God's people. And in this vision... Again, God is going to speak to Israel, but in this vision, Zechariah sees the condition of the high priest. Why the high priest? Because the high priest represented his enemy. The high priest lived 364 days of his life, preparing himself for the 365th day of his life. Because it was once a year. That the high priest would enter into the holies of holies. He couldn't be blemished. He couldn't be with sin. He couldn't be with scars. He, couldn't, he had to be perfect. But what does Zacharias see when he looks at the high priest by the name of He sees that the devil is on his right-hand side. And if the devil is right next to, Zach, to, to Joshua, guess what? Joshua cannot enter into the holy of holies. He saw the condition of the priest. And what did he see? He saw that Satan was standing in his right hand. The right, the right hand in the Bible refers to the place of authority, the place of power. In the times of the Bible, if you wanted to be a soldier and you was a lefty, you couldn't go to battle because left-handed people didn't qualify to fight. So to be a right-handed person implied the place of power, the place of authority. I want to tell you this afternoon. That the devil is after your right hand. He is after that thing that makes you strong. He is after that thing that makes you impossible to be defeated. And I'm here to tell you, church, don't let the devil destroy your place of authority. You know what he did? He took Samson. Remember Samson and Delilah? What does Samson 
hear from Delilah. She said, tell me now, where does your strength lies in? Because if the devil could take your strong hand, he got you. If he could take your strength, he'll destroy you. Listen, have you noticed the devil never attacks you in your weakness? He got you. He will always attack the areas that you're strong in. He's after your right hand. But what does the Bible say? That when the angel of the Lord was standing before Joshua, and he looked at his right hand, and he saw the devil, and here's what the devil was doing. The Bible says that the devil was accusing Joshua. Look at you. God ain't going to use you. Look at you. Because your disobedience, your virgin, your, girls, your virgin girls raped. Because your disobedience, your men castrated. Because disobedience, your buildings are burnt. And that's what the devil is doing. The Bible calls the devil the accuser of the saints. Oh, yeah, yeah, I missed it. Yeah, I missed it. He calls us the accuser. He calls him the accuser of the saints. So guess who he accuses? Somebody say saints. And what does that mean? If he is the accuser of the saints, what that means is that you're a saint. If he is the accuser of the believers, that means that you're a believer. So the more he stands on your right hand, listen, the devil ain't going to accuse sinners. He ain't going to accuse heathens. If he's accusing you, that's an indicator that you're a child of God, that you're in the hands of God, that there's a purpose. He was accusing him. And then the angel of the Lord says, Satan! The Lord rebuked ye. The Lord rebuked him. Listen to me. Anticipates. And now this rebuking, listen to this, is God's way of intervening. And God's intervention in our lives will give us a different perspective of life. Had God, had the Lord not rebuked, listen to me. Had the Lord not rebuked the devil in Joshua's side, what Zacharias was only going to see was the Lord in front, Joshua with filthy clothes, and the devil. No, 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 no. The moment God rebukes the devil, Zacharias sees something different. What does he see? Verse 2, verse 2, part 2, verse 2, go to verse 2. He says, says, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? When Zacharias saw Joshua, he saw a priest unclean. When Zacharias saw Joshua, he saw a man being accused by the devil. Now after God rebukes him, he sees Joshua not as an unclean priest. He sees him as a branding iron. What is a branding iron? In the times of the Bible, people wealthy, by the cattle, the animals that they had. And so in the times of the Bible, just like the times of today, you had crooks, you had thieves, right? Thieves had, <laughs> I'll leave it at that, thieves. And so, and so I would go to somebody's farm and steal a cow and take it to my farm judicial system that that cow was his because there was nothing. So what, 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 what did they invent? They invented this thing called a branding iron. And what's a branding iron? A branding iron is a long iron stick and in the edge of the stick 
there's either an emblem of the family or the letter of the last name of the family. And what the owner of the cows would do and the horses would do, they would take a branding iron and they would put it in the fire for what purpose? So that they can be able to give an identity to the animals because they were thieves, they were trying to steal those animals. Now, 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 imagine, if you will, if that branding iron, while the owner is about to put them in the fire, imagine if the branding iron had a mouth. And the branding iron would say, wait, t- whoa, whoa, time out, whoa, 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 before you put me in the fire, time out, wait, wait, wait time out. What did I do to you to go through the fire? They are in the mess they're in because they disobeyed you. Referring to the story of Zacharias. They are in oppression because you told them don't do this and they did it so they're in that mess. But wherever you put me, I stay. You take me and you put me on top of the table, I never move. You put me and you hang me up on the wall, I stay right. I've been obedient to everything. Go to the fire when I ain't do nothing wrong. And the guy says, listen. The reason why I'm using you is because you're made of a material that can resist the flames of the fire. If I put the cow and I put the cow in the fire, the fire is going to consume and destroy the cow. But I love the cow and I have a purpose, but the cow cannot handle the fire that's going to be. So I need to find somebody that has the capacity to withhold the fire in that flame. And so I know you are made of a precious material that even though I put you in the fire, it ain't going to burn you and it ain't going to kill you. And it might be painful at the moment, but after a while, if you let me work you in the fire, I can take you out the fire and then I could put you and, and I, can, I can brand a cow and now that cow that would get lo- robbed and stolen because when the thief now comes to kill and take the cow, he's got to see that there's a mark in him that says, I belong to my master. I belong to my owner. When the branding iron understands the purpose of his fire, he says, burn me because it is my fire fiery experience that's going to allow me to mark people. And when I mark people, they're going to have the ownership. Listen, 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 listen. I want you to know that you have been chosen to leave a mark. You're not in your pain because God ignored you. No, God allowed you to go through the fire because he says, I know it hurts. I know it's painful, but I know and I believe that you can handle that. So he says, I'm, a, I'm going to allow circumstances to hit you. I allow for sickness to hit your body. Because the fire of your sickness, when you come out that fire, every sick person you touch, you're going to let them know that God is a healer. I'm going to allow you to go through a crisis in your marriage and who knows, even get divorced. But through that fire, I'm going to use you to because you have been chosen to leave a mark. Joshua was seen by Zacharias no longer as a priest, but as a branding iron plucked out of the fire. You know why many of us in our heartache, we don't see God use us? Because when things get hot, we want to get out the fire. 
When things get hot, I'm leaving the church. When things get hot, I'm leaving the ministry. When things get hot, I'm out. No, 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 no. You got what it takes to stay in the fire. So when things get heated, here's what you got to do. You got to trust that he who has begun the good work in you is faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. And don't give up. And now, and now when, when he identifies himself as a branding plucked out the fire, the message is everyone Joshua now touches. Everyone Joshua touches. Can I get some piano? Everyone Joshua touches. He blesses. And then the text says, after the revelation of a branding fire, branding iron, God says, then he said, God does. He says, you've been exposed. People have seen your hurts. People have seen your pain. People have seen the scars. And I'm going to clothe you with new clothes. And I'm going to give you a new identity. I'm not going to remove the scars. No, I'm going to remove your clothing. So that whenever you find somebody in pain, pull up your sleeve and show your scars. Live, show your scars. Jesus, Jesus, when you read the book of Revelation, the Bible says that he has a, he has a, uh, una cinta. How you say that? A sash that says, King of kings, Lord of lords. When John saw him, Dressed in white linen. Jesus was good. The Bible says when John saw him, he said, and when I saw him, I fell, I fell to the ground as if I was, it was so much majesty and glory. God changed his garments. But you know what? Jesus still has the scars. And even though he has new clothes, a new name above all name, he still has the scars. So when I look at Jesus and all of his majestic power and glory, it encourages me to be like Christ. But when I look at his scars, it reminds me of the pain he went through. So church, the victory of us, our victory is not based on pain exemption, capacity to withstand and endure the process so that we can become branding irons. Because there's a world out there that needs you to touch them. There's somebody right now out there that is going through what you went through. Accused by the devil the way you were accused. So do not hide your pain and your past and your, don't, don't hide it, expose it. Your fiery experiences mark other people. You are an iron. Irons are designed to change the structure of clothes. From something wrinkled, an iron changes the structure. But to change the structure of a shirt, of a shirt, of a shirt the iron's got to take the heat of the fire. So allow ourselves to be branding irons plucked out of the fire. And God will use you for his glory. Here's one thing I've struggled with Paul. He's always, he said this, he says, he said, Paul said, when struggles come your way, he said, look what he says, he says, 
welcome them as friends. How do you welcome pain as a friend? Because they make you stronger. Because they build you. So church, here's what I want to challenge you today. Would you please stand? I want to challenge you. To let God finish his work in you. And I want to remind you that you have been chosen to leave a mark. You have been chosen to leave a mark. But you cannot mark unless you go through the fire. But like Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God will give you the power to resist the flames. Because the God you serve is the God of fire.